0: Good morning. Thank you, Bob. I never really got to say that. I mean, I tell them like when we get off stage, but I never really got to tell them from the stage, but I'm, uh, I'm still thankful for this church. I'm still thankful for, for everybody here, and I'm, I'm really excited to be here this morning. You guys excited to be here this morning? Amen. Uh, as always, it's an honor. It's a privilege just to serve here and just to be able to do what I do and and with the people that I do it with. And I'm truly, and I mean this when I say it, I'm truly humbled and I'm blessed for the opportunity. Uh, so thank you. Thank you for showing up today. Thank you for tuning in. Uh, and I really hope that something said this morning can really resonate with you. Um, so let's just kind of recap here for a second. This is, this is the final week of why. Uh, have you guys enjoyed this, this series so far? It's been, listen, this has kicked my tail. I'm not even kidding. For those of you that aren't aware, Our senior pastors have been on a much-needed sabbatical, and this series has been taught by a team of pastors that we have here in our church. Are we not blessed with some amazing communicators? Come on now. Over the past few weeks, we've heard from Pastor Austin, our children's pastor, my brother-in-law. He kicked us off with Why Peter, and he's, he's doing an amazing job. Pastor Amanda with Why Not You, and as expected, she knocks it out of the park every single time. Pastor Casey comes in, he follows it up with Why Worship, and he tags teams with his firecracker wife, Tiffany. Uh, what an amazing message on worship. Uh, the chain link analogy, amazing. It was amazing. <laughs> last week, Pastor Ben with Why Prophesy, and look, I, I left so inspired by his message. I spent the whole week just wanting to encourage everybody around me, and, and he almost didn't get to, to speak. Who was here last week? Yeah. Can I just say that last week's worship service was one of the most memorable corporate worship services I have ever been a part of. And, and I've been a part of worship ministry for 25 years. I've been so emotional this week just reflecting on the authentic worship that we, we experienced last week. And I was truly humbled and filled with joy just to see over half the church flood the altars. And there would have been more if we had more room. Well, guess what? We're gonna have more room pretty soon. So thank you for being obedient. Thank you for being obedient to the Holy Spirit. And as your worship pastor, honestly, I've just been so beside myself this week. Next week, you get PK back. Did he do not? He still got it. He still got it. Does he not? But today, you got me. And for those of you that don't know who I am, I'm Pastor Bob, and I am the worship and arts pastor here. If you've heard me speak before, then you've heard me say, as a worship pastor, my sermons are usually three to five minutes long and in the key of, C, key of D, So this really isn't, like, this isn't my comfort zone, I'm going to be honest with you. But I see this as an opportunity to grow, and I'm always thankful for a chance to grow. Amen? Amen. So today we're going to ask the question, why us? We're going to look at why community is vital for your walk with God. And how fitting is that, that it just so happens to be Spirit Day. You guys look amazing today. I'm not even kidding. Uh, If you're wearing that beautiful state of orange, mm, man, right here hits me home i'm a die ball fan look i bleed orange okay i count down the days to football season when we're winning i am over the moon and when we lose it hurts my soul i'm not a lifer though and i'm not a bandwagon fan in fact i didn't care about football at all until about 2008 anybody know what happened in 2008 with the balls? anybody fulmer gets fired We hired Kiffin in 09, and 15 years, five coaching changes, 10 plus losing seasons, and a few burnt mattresses later, here we are. So no, I'm not a bandwagon fan. We were losing when I became a fan, and I'm bald today because I'm a fan, but I love it. I got my first opportunity to go to a game in 2012, Tennessee versus Alabama. I got to go with PK. I got to go with Zach Harris, Aaron Daggett, myself. We rolled up in Knoxville, and like, I'm in heaven. I'm in heaven. I had no idea what a game day experience was like. Not a clue. I'd only watched the games on TV up until this point. People everywhere. There's 102,000 people that are, and, and that's just the ones in the stadium. Like, when you're walking through those streets, you come in contact with 300 plus thousand people. Easy. There's live bands, there's tailgates. We saw this one tent with a live band, a few people cutting a rug. PK said, I bet you won't go dance with them. I said, bet. <laughs> Next thing you know, I cut my phone out. I'm in the middle of this tent. I'm doing the dougie. I don't even know how to do the dougie, but I'm doing whatever I'm doing. I'm the loudest one there, I promise you. I'm at somebody else's tailgate, but man, I'm home. I am home. The music, the sounds, the smells. Oh my Lord, the smells. Everyone's grilling out. This is my first time, and I'm just taking it all in. And I remember seeing just this sea of orange. So we just followed the sea of orange down in the stadium, and, and just seeing the field and the lights and the players for the first time. And I had this I had this whoa moment. And I remember looking up and feeling so small. I remember sitting in the corner of the west end zone and trying not to stand when I get excited. The guy behind me puts his hand on my shoulder and he says, "Hey," he says, "Is this your first time?" I said, "Yeah, I'm sorry." He said, "Nah, he said if you want to stand, you stand up. You don't worry about us cuz we're standing too. This is kneeling, baby." I said, "Hey, I'm home. I am home." I remember seeing my favorite receiver, Cordero Patterson. What he, he he got this beautiful touchdown from Tyler Bray right in front of me. He was electric. He was electric. That boy would run 136 yards just to gain 5 yards. He was juking for no reason. That dude would juke himself. I'm telling you, he was bad. I was blown away by this, and this just solidified my love for the balls even more. Even though we lost bad in that game, I was hooked. That day, I experienced community on such a massive scale. I had no idea. See, all I'd ever seen were thousands of dots on a TV screen, but it's totally different when you get to look those dots in the eyes. It hits different when you're a dot. So you find that those dots are actually people and there are a whole lot of different people that make up that community, okay? So we're gonna take a look at this because I I noticed this comparison, okay? Let's see if you can notice it too. Just how closely related sporting community and the church community are. So let's look at this. Let's Let's take a look at that first one. What do we got? We got lifers, okay? People who are born into it. I mean, their grandparents taught them those values to their parents, their parents taught them and they're gonna raise their kids with those values. You got lifers. What's the next one? you got conversions. Josh Prey is a prime example of this. He's a comedian slash former Florida fan turned ball lever. After we put a whooping on them Gator punks last year, you know what I'm talking about? Come on. Hey, what's, what's the next one? You got opposing fans. Look, not everyone there shared the same beliefs as me or my interest. You got idiot fans. These are people doing stupid stuff, but they got good intentions, I think. I see this guy, he's, he's bigger than me, and he's tattooed, and he's brawny, and he's bearded, and he's chugging a Miller Lite, and he's wearing an orange hula skirt. He's got a coconut bra on and fairy wings, face painting off. I'm like, and no, it wasn't me. It was not me. <laughs> In the church, though, these are mostly the recipients of Paul's letters the first century church and there are still a whole lot of them today good intentions just poor execution like i'm convinced that the first century church is the reason why we have stupid warning labels i'm not even kidding you know the warning labels that should be obvious they're like the warning labels that exist because somebody was stupid enough to do it this is an actual warning label for a clothes iron on the market today warning do not iron clothes while clothes are on your body are you kidding me? You know dang well they lost a lawsuit because some idiot did this too. Meanwhile, Paul's on his 300th letter with carpet tunnel, like, hey, it's me, Paul, again, writing to you, again, with patience and grace. Look, guys, we can't, we can't be doing stupid stuff. You're saved now. Come on, just stop it. Jeff Foxworthy should do a bit with that called, You Might Be Getting a Letter from Paul. If you are getting drunk off of communion wine and just speaking in tongues to strangers, you might be getting a letter from Paul. I'm just saying. If you can't meet for church without literally fist-fighting the other members, you might be getting a letter from Paul. Paul. If you are bragging about making boom-boom with your father's wife, a.k.a. your mom, you might be getting a letter from Paul. You might get three letters from Paul. See, this is not just an Alabama thing. This happened in the first century church too. Come on now. And the apostle formerly known as Saul had to address it. So let's move on. You got occasional fans. These fans, they're the ones that only, they only come to the big games. You know, like Christmas and Easter. You got diehard fans. These fans, they, they know the players. They know the coaches. They've studied the plays. They know the game inside and out, and they can tell you every stat from memory. In church, these are the ones that have the entire Bible memorized from memory. Like, they can, they can tell you everything. Every version. You got dragged relatives. People who are only there because they're related to a fan, and this happens a lot. I see I see a ton of people who had their face buried in their phone could not care less what was happening on the field They were just only there because they were dragged here by a loved one You got bandwagon fans We're winning So they are the loudest ones in the room, but once they start losing They're the first ones to go How many times do you see that though the opposite in church when things are going bad they're here they're all in But as soon as things are going good again, they're nowhere to be found I call them I call them I don't, I, I don't call them that. That's stupid. <laughs> I'm just kidding. But all these fans, they make up a community. If you want to experience community, you go to a major sporting event. Fast forward 10 years. The Bible says not to be unequally yoked, and I took that passage to heart. I said, if I'm going to marry someone, I, they have to be a believer, and they have to be a Vols fan. Thank God. I scored twice because I'm married into a family that bleeds orange too. i married into a family with the same blood as me. Can I get a Roll Tide? Come on. If you haul a Roll Tide in church instead of saying amen, you might be getting a letter from Paul. Last year, my father-in-law, James, he offers, offers me to get in with him on these season tickets and I almost didn't do it simply because it's saturdays and i'm up at five on sundays and to be here and and i'm kind of a homebody i enjoy watching games in the comfort of my papa bear chair i'm just gonna be honest with you it was actually my wife that talked me into it has nothing to do with her wanting me out of the house on saturdays or anything so i did it i got season tickets for the first time ever with my father-in-law and my brother-in-law and you know what happened last year number one scoring offense in the nation. That's what's happened last year. We go 11-2. We beat LSU. We beat Florida. We beat Bama and Clemson in the same year, and I got to be there. The third Saturday in October. Anybody know what that is? That's Alabama week. We know what that is. Me, James, Pastor Austin, PK, Pastor Casey, we roll up to the historic Gus's Deli for a pregame lunch. I'm standing in line when I see Lee Corso put on that smoky mascot head and he, he picked us to win. I remember the sounds. I remember the music, the smell of the fireworks when we would score a touchdown. I remember the flyover during the national anthem that I cried at. I did, I cried and I don't know why. It shocked me too. I'm just like, in the Rockets, regular. I'm just like, and I'm going all in for it. I've never cried at the National Anthem before. But man, 102,000 people singing it. The anticipation. My heart's beating out of my chest. I know what a record-breaking 125.4 decibels sounds like. And it's so loud at times, you can't even stand up. It's disorienting. I witnessed the greatest game ever played. And I wasn't just spectating. I was a part of it. I saw Gerald Mincy, one of our offensive linemen, break the huddle, projectile vomit, and then look an Alabama linebacker in the eyes and just nod. This <laughs> is like, yeah, that happened, and I'm coming for you. What an intimidation tactic. There's nothing more terrifying than that. Can you imagine what would have happened if David, a scrawny little teenage boy, rolls up to take on Goliath, A giant that has an entire army just shaking in their boots. And he pulls out a slingshot and just. (laughs) Dude. (laughs) You can't tell me Goliath ain't running from that. War's over, bro. War's over. That's scary. It's a tied game. Fourth quarter. It's like a scene from a movie. Bam, is marching down for the win. Will Reichert. Kicks a field goal with 15 seconds left on the clock. He misses it wide right. We get the ball back with 15 seconds. They gave us 15 seconds. See, most people would see 15 seconds on the clock and just take a knee. After all, that's the safe thing to do. This is just impossible. What can I do with 15 seconds? 15 seconds to march down the length of the field against one of the top teams in the nation. It's not just improbable. It's dang near impossible. But we got the best offensive coach in the nation sitting on the sidelines. And guess what? He's calling the plays. Somebody needs to hear me this morning. Some of y'all, you you played a good game, but you're tired. Some of y'all have been counted out. Some of y'all, you see that clock and you say, hey, I've done all I can do. The mountain's too high. The task is unreachable. It's not just improbable. It's it's impossible. When the enemy has all but put the game away and left you with nothing to show for it, those thoughts start flooding your mind. So you're going to fail, just like you always do. You're going to fall short, just like the ones before you and the ones before them and the ones before them, because it's been a same repetitious cycle for years and years and years. And some of you, Have even told yourself, hey, I should just take a knee. I gave it all I had. And to be honest with you, friend, if you did, nobody would blame you. But what some of you need not forget is you got somebody that's waiting for you on the sideline. Are you hearing me this morning? You got somebody with a proven track record. You got somebody with better eyes on the field that can see the things that you can't see. You got someone with all the answers. And guess what? He's calling the place, And he's telling you to get up get back on that field. This game ain't over. We have come too far to back down now. We have come too far to take a knee now. Where you see the inevitable, God sees victory. The enemy done messed up. He done messed up because the biggest mistake he's ever given you was giving you 15 seconds. The enemy should have took you out when he had the chance. My, how the tables have turned. Because I'm here to tell you, friend, there's still time on the clock. Don't just stand there. Don't you dare take indeed. deed. Rally the troops. Get back on that field. Victory is coming sooner than you think. And you know why? Because we're going to drive it down the enemy's throat. That's why. Hennon Hooker said, not today, Saban. I still got 15 seconds. Watch this. First pass, complete to Ramel Keaton down the right sideline. Caught. First down. Reset. Second pass, complete to Broome McCoy over the middle. Caught. But time expires. Triple zeros. End of regulation. We're going to overtime. It was all in vain. Or so We thought. They review it. Brew is down with two seconds left on the clock. Now it's our turn to kick a bill goal. Chase McGrath gives a nod to his holder, and he lines up. And the whistle blows. Time out! In typical Sabin fashion. Saban calls a timeout to ice our kicker. Ain't that just like the enemy? As soon as you start gaining momentum, the enemy will try and call a timeout just to ice you. Just to catch you off guard. Just to get you off fouling. Because see, the enemy wants another opportunity to take you out, but you got the ball this time. It's time to put the game away. You hearing me this morning? So, timeouts called by Satan. I mean, Saban. Saban calls this time out, and I'm about to suffer a myocardial infarction because of the stress. I'm not even kidding. I looked at the poor girl. I don't know where I looked at the poor girl to my left, and I said, I can't. I said, I can't take this anymore. My heart can't take it. And she looks me dead in the eyes with a worry that only a Vol fan could understand, and she says, I'm going to poop. I'm about to poop myself. I said, oh, <laughs> well, I wasn't expecting that answer, but I'm right there with you, lady. <laughs> Listen, to it. the team marches back on the field and this happens, watch this. Chase. Chase, Chase McGrath for the win for the Volunteers from 40 on the way a knuckle ball he got it it's, a night. it's my life oh, it's Football, and you watch this one. I'm not sure what your problem is. First field storm of this nature at Neyland Stadium since they defeated Florida back in '98, and they get Alabama off their chests. right I got on that field. Come on. I was not going to miss that opportunity. No one wanted to leave. We stayed there for hours after the game. 1998, UT versus Florida. The fans stormed the field and they tore down the goalposts and they threw them in the Tennessee River. I remember watching that on TV. This time I was there. I experienced community in its most glorious form. And I got to tell you, we're definitely getting a letter from Paul for that one for sure. I saw grown men cry. I saw college kids hug senior citizens. I saw 15 years of disappointment and frustration and pain dissipate from the shoulders of 102,000 people in an instant. An old man turns to me, and he's got a smile on his face, and he said, we are witnessing history right now. History that I never would have witnessed had I stayed at home in my Papa Bear chair. That brings me to the first point. If you're taking notes, you can't experience community from your Papa Bear chair. (laughs) Listen, don't misread what I'm saying. I'm not saying that you can't hear from God from your living room or, or, or from watching a live stream or a TV show or listening to a podcast. What I'm saying is you can't experience it for yourself if you're not there you can watch it. You can read about it. You can try and reenact it. I can describe my experiences in vivid detail. I can paint a pretty picture for you, but you can't experience it if you're not there. We were never meant to live life of other people's experiences, but sadly, in our society, this is normal. My kid watches toy videos. She doesn't watch videos about toys. She watches videos of other kids playing with toys. <laughs> toys that she has in her room that are not being played with. <laughs> and content creation, two of the most popular videos uh, out there right now are gaming videos and reaction videos. Gaming videos are, are, are videos of people playing games. It's all the joys of playing games and having fun, except you're not playing them or having fun. So <laughs> makes sense. Reaction videos are people reacting to other experiences, oftentimes of people playing video games. So you have reactors reacting to other people playing video games. And it goes even deeper when you have reactors reacting to reactors reacting to other people's playing. This sounds insane. I get it. But it's real. I promise. It is real. And you know what? It's more common in today's church than anyone wants to admit. There's a whole lot more to church than hearing a worship set and listening to a sermon on Sundays. Real church, the church that Jesus intended us to be, they meet together to get their marching orders then they take the church to the lost. Real church happens outside these walls. And it's so sad to me to see that people will come to church their entire lives and they'll never do anything more than warm a pew. You're not living. You're spectating. People who watch other people get prayed for. People who pray for her watch others pray for people. People who watch others worship. People who watch other people serve. People who let pastors and speakers study for them. People who are here but aren't engaged. You're missing out on God's purpose for your life. So many people live their entire lives like this, and so many people die having never walked in their full calling. And this is impossible to do if you aren't willing to even be a part of community, a biblical community. And that's very important. We're all subject to communities. Every one of us has a community, whether that be your church community, your circle of friends, your family, your coworkers, your book club, your sports team, your band, your small group. We're all a part of a community. But what we need is biblical community. And that's what we're going to look at right now. Pull that up for me. Biblical community is this. It's, it's where you, we come alongside each other to grow and mature in our faith. So to understand that deeper, let's look at who biblical community consists of. PK always said to us in youth, show me your friends and I'll show you your future. And boy, was he right. I heard him say this a thousand times, but it didn't resonate with me until one night when I was 14 years old. I just got my first drum set. I'm excited. My buddy... From school he calls me up and he says hey get ready I'm picking you up we're going to a party most of my friends were older than me and I was very impressionable but I'm like no way dude no first of all I just sat on my drums second of all I don't party I'm not that dude I'm not that guy I don't I don't drink I don't do drugs I hate parties I'm not that guy pal they like to drink and do drugs I like to eat chicken and play Super Mario. And let me tell you, that's exactly what I did at that party that I was talked into going, eating frozen chicken nuggets and playing Mario. Well, the chicken, nugget, the chickens, the chicken nuggets were not frozen when I ate them. They were cooked. They were cooked. I'm not an animal. If you eat frozen chicken nuggets while they're still frozen, You might be getting a letter from Paul. (laughs) We're at this party, and people start showing up, and, and, and including a girl that we knew, and she had a reputation for being somewhat promiscuous, but she was my friend. And they're slamming back drink after drink. Two guys take her into a back bedroom, and I don't have to tell you what happened in there. They exit the room, and my buddy comes to me and he says, Hey, stay here. We're going to another friend's house. We'll be back in a little bit. And I knew that they had been drinking. And I knew that they've been doing drugs. And I knew that they didn't need to be driving. And I begged them, please don't go, please. But I had zero influence over their decision. Their minds were made up. So I struck a deal with them. If you insist on going, I'll drive you. So they agreed. I'm 14 years old. I can't even begin to tell you how illegal this entire situation is. But I drive my buddy, two other guys and this girl, to what I thought was buddy number two house. But it ended up being a remote location. And they told me to put it in park and get out. So I did. And I don't have to tell you what happened in that car. One by one, each guy entered that vehicle and they exited and I did nothing about it. I was a coward. They finished and I got in the back seat of that car next. And I helped her put her clothes back on and I just cried with her. I just held her and I cried and I didn't know what else to do. And they dropped her off at a driveway and left. She passed out in the driveway before she could ever make it to her house. And her dad found her the next day in the driveway and showed up at my house furious. And for good reason. Because I'm a dad now and I get it. I thought I was doing the right thing by saving them. But what I did was create an opportunity for something very bad to happen. And a lot of people were mad. And Kelly had to meet with me. I forgot to mention, this girl went to our church. So people knew people. And as her dad told me, I was eyeball deep in it. And I was mad, and I was hurt, and I wanted so far away from everything, so I left I just left. I left the church. I left that friend group. I left everything. I ignored calls. I was, I was hurt, and I was angry, and I didn't want to be in that situation ever again. And I'm lucky that charges weren't pressed. But you know who persistently reached out to me? It wasn't my friends. Not one of them even acknowledged my absence. It was Pastor Kelly. He refused to give up on me. He knew what my worth was because he had been discipling me, and he was not going to let me walk away from my purpose. That is biblical community. People in your life that genuinely care about you and your well-being, those are the people that you need to be around. 1 Corinthians 15.33 says, do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. Proverbs 18:24 says, "One who has unreliable friends soon comes to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother." Proverbs 13:20 says, "Walk with the wise and become wise, for a companion of fools what suffers harm." I guess see some of your parents nudging your kid like, "Hey, you hear that?" Yeah. But this also applies to your gossip group. Hang out with gossipers? Guess what? Scoobla is going to be spewing out of your mouth pretty soon. And I wonder what they say about you when you're not around. You hang out with users, you're going to end up using. You hang out with liars, you're going to lie. You hang out with the wrong crowd, you're going to be the wrong crowd. Show me your friends, and I will show you your future. This people in this church, my friends. And I'm here 20 years later, and this church was absolutely my future. I just had no idea how true that statement would be. So we know what biblical community is and and we know who it consists of. But why do we need it? I know a lot of people will say, I don't need anybody. I'm self-made. Those people always end up lonely and wanting. Here's the truth. You need me. And I need you. That's the way God intends. That's, That's why God created Eve. He didn't want man to be alone. So the first answer to why us is simply this. We need each other. Galatians 6.2 says this, carry each other's burdens and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. Listen, this is a give and take type deal. Today I may be carrying your burdens, but one day I'm going to need you to carry mine. And here are a few things that we need from each other. Number one, encouragement. Hebrews 10, 23 through 25 says, Let us hold unswervingly to the hope that we profess, for he who, pr- who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up on meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but what? Encouraging one another. You need encouragement. I need encouragement. This, this race is long, friends, it's exhausting. Your spouse needs encouragement. Your kids need encouragement. Your parents, your pastors need encouragement. I cannot tell you what it means to me and, and how much it expi- inspires me when you are being that biblical community. I need encouragement. People like Chris Lon, like Leo, Leo Miller, like, like Brent Madrin, like Wayne. I need Jonathan Linton. Every day I get a text message from Jonathan that says, hey, bro, I love you, man. I'm praying for you today. Go take today by the horns. I'm here if you need anything. I need D. Pinker texting me prayers and encouraging words. I need people like Jim Vaca who reaches, me, reaches out to me during the week just to let me know that what I'm doing is not in vain. I need Damon Carpenter, always encouraging me and imparting wisdom. I need Diana Gross Flowers and Melissa Perez who come up to me on a weekly basis and they just give me a big hug and show me love and appreciation and support. That keeps me in the fight. And let me tell you, it's a fight sometimes just to be in the fight. But when you know you got people who are fighting with you, it makes it a little bit easier to get up, put your big boy pants on in the morning and do what God has called you to do. Romans 1, 11 and 12 says, I long to see you so that I may impart to you some spiritual gifts to make you strong. That is that you and I may be what? By each other's faith. Face. Face. Biblical community is like a bonfire. The logs, when they burn together bright and hot. But what happens when you remove one of the logs and set it aside? What's going to happen? The multitude of logs, they'll continue to burn, fueling each other with each passing moment, but that single log will burn out. It'll burn for a moment until it eventually burns out. It's no longer part of something bigger than itself. It's no longer giving and receiving fuel. Will you hear me this morning? We see that far too often. When you remove yourself from the fire, you will burn out. It does not matter who you are. It doesn't matter what your upbringing is, what your values are. If you are left to your own devices, eventually you will compromise. Which brings me to my next thing that we need from each other, and that's accountability. James 5, 16 says, therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. I need Pastor Casey. I need Daniel Plank to hold me accountable. Both of these dudes call me out of the blue just to check up. Daniel calls me every day just to check up on me and just see where I'm at. I need the PKs, the Kim Moffitts, the Kevin humans who will pull me aside and ground me when I need it. You need people in your life that can hold you accountable. That cannot happen without community. It's impossible to hold yourself accountable. Eventually, you will bend. You will compromise. It does not matter how strong your will is. Your will will break. Just like in the story I told you before, I never thought that my values and integrity as a man would allow me, or or, or, I always thought that my values and integrity as a man would allow me to stand up for what was right in a situation like that, but it subsequently proved to me just how weak I was. I never thought that I would be a coward until I was put in a situation where I needed to not be one. You're as strong as you think you are until you're not. Samson was the strongest man on earth until he wasn't. This is one of my many regrets in life. Years later, I reached out to her, and I apologized for not standing up for her when I needed to, when she needed me. It ate at me. It didn't sit right with me. It rubbed me the wrong way, and I I couldn't change the situation. But the least I could do was man up and take responsibility for not doing the right thing when I should have. That's life sometimes. Sometimes that rubbing, that uncomfortableness, that friction, it's a good thing. Brings me to my third thing, sharpening. Proverbs twenty-seven, seventeen says, As iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. Don't be afraid of friction. It doesn't feel good, but friction sharpens. Society hates friction. Society tries so hard to cancel friction. Every time someone has a different view or opinion, you're canceled. You don't think like me? Canceled. You don't look like me, canceled. You don't believe like me, canceled. You hurt my feelings, canceled. I'm offended for somebody else, canceled. We're handing out cancellations like Oprah's handing out cars. You get canceled, and you get canceled, and you get canceled. Everybody gets canceled. (laughs) Meanwhile, Tom Cruise is jumping on a couch somewhere like a dang crazy person. I would have made an Ellen generous reference, but she was canceled, so I don't even think I'm allowed to do that. <laughs> this world is terrified of friction. It's no wonder why we're so dull. You need friction to grow. You need friction to sharpen you, your senses, your beliefs. No one likes to be held accountable, but we need it. We need people in our lives that can tell us what we need to hear, even when it's the last thing that we want to hear. We need people that are going to tell us the truth instead of what makes us feel good. We need people with differing opinions and different experiences because you'll never question anything if everyone agrees with you. And if you feel like you don't need to go, guess what? You won't. If you can learn to listen instead of getting butt hurt when you are given a different opinion on a situation, especially in a situation that you're very passionate about, you'll seek God more. You'll dig deeper. You're going to study harder. You're going to research and one of two things are going to happen. You'll either learn that you were wrong and be able to correct yourself, which makes you better and makes you sharper, or you'll ascertain that you were right all along, solidifying your beliefs even more, which makes you better or sharper. The fourth thing that we need from each other, correction. Oh boy. 2 Timothy 4:2 says this, preach the word Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage, but it's not done. With great patience and careful instruction. We have to be open to correction. This is give and take. That means we give correction, and you have to be able to take correction. More times than not, you'll find that people are more than happy to correct you. But don't you dare correct them guess what? Those people need correction. None of this matters. If you can't recognize that sometimes you need correction. Real talk, friends. The truth is, I don't care how educated you are, you don't know it all. And you're not perfect. You need correction from time to time. The older I get, the less I know. I knew everything at 19. Everything. I had it all figured out. Now I'm 34 and I don't have a stinking clue. <laughs> I mean your guess is good as mine. I have no idea. This attitude of I am who I am. I've always been this way. It's how my parents were. It's how I am. It's how my kids are going to be. Do you hear how dangerous that sounds? I can't change. Or more often than not, I don't need to change. If you're not willing to be corrected or changed for the better, you will never be able to be who God intended you to be. Reason number 2 for biblical community. If you're taking notes, we're called to be people people. Well, Pastor Bob, I'm not a people person. I just don't like people. You ever heard that? Listen, it's easy to dislike what you don't know. My my daughter hates every food that she has ever not tried. So saying that you're not a people person is really no different than my five-year-old saying that she doesn't like green beans when she's never even tried them. I think what you mean to say is, I don't like people I don't know. If you get to know somebody, you'll be surprised at the lengths that you would go for them. In 1973, Santiago Genovis, a Mexican anthropologist, he set out to perform a controversial social experiment to investigate interpersonal relationships in extreme uh, conditions of limited space and isolation. This experiment was called the Akali Expedition. He placed himself along with 10 other diverse individuals on a small raft for 101 days, slowly drifting across the Atlantic Ocean. His intentions were very clear. He set out to prove that indefinitely, that it is in our nature as human beings to resort to violence and jealousy when we were put in situations of harsh conditions or extreme uh, isolation. He's orchestrating this whole thing. He would privately interview the participants and try to stir up division. So he would ask them, who here do you hate? Who here would you get rid of? Who are you attracted to? He was excited to finally prove his theory. The only problem was, the more people were around each other, the tighter their bond got. So it wasn't working. He becomes frustrated by this result. So he released this information from the private interviews to everybody that's on the boat. So-and-so said that they would get rid of you. So-and-so wants you dead. So-and-so is attracted to this person, hoping that it's going to stir up hatred and and jealousy and division among the participants. Instead, it gave them an opportunity to talk and work things out. It actually brought them closer. When the rudder on the raft broke, he appointed one lady to be the designated diver and gave her the task of fixing it, knowing that she would fail. And she did fail because he made sure of it. He took her equipment from her, and he went to bed that night knowing that everybody's going to blame her for them being stranded with a broken rudder. Except when he woke up, he found that through the night she swam down and fixed the rudder despite not having the right equipment or know-how but she did it for her friends. This experiment went so badly that he just gave up in the middle of it. He just gave up. He literally soaked and pouted in a corner until they made it to their destination while the 10 others on the raft grew together and strengthened their bonds and lasted their entire lives. Santiago's experiment was so far from a failure though. He proved something with this experiment. He proved that people are stronger together. And the closer we are, the farther we will go for the person next to us. He proved that we are what Jesus called us to be. People, people. Philippians 2, 3, and 4 says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself. Not looking to your own interest, but to each of you to the interest of others, for some of y'all, that means you need to be more mindful of the pronouns that you're using. Hear me out. What would happen if we use more they, them pronouns? I can almost feel the tension in this room right now. What pronouns are you using? If you were a fly on the wall, just observing you, how many conversations would be about you? How many times would you hear the pronouns, I, me, me? mine, myself? What would happen if your base conversation flipped from I, me, myself to you, they, them, we, us? How much good can you do for the kingdom when you shift your focus from yourself to others? Well, I just don't think, I I don't agree with that church. I I have a problem with so-and-so. I don't want my kids. I just don't like the way... You can find out all you need to know about a person and their priorities in a five-minute conversation with them just by the pronouns that they use. And lastly, reason number three, biblical community conforms us to the image of Christ. Ephesians 4.32 says, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another just in Christ God, just as in Christ God forgave you. Philippians 2.5-7 A continuation from the earlier passage says, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself what? By taking the very nature of what? Being made in human likeness. Being a Christian means to be Christ-like. Christ lived his life as an example of biblical community. Jesus literally modeled this. Who did Jesus always have with him? Disciples. He had a community of 12 dudes around him at all times. Who was Jesus' priority? The people. When he sent his disciples out, he didn't send them by himself. He sent them two by two, as depicted in Mark chapter 6, verses 7, and in Luke chapter 10. Jesus understood the assignment. See, Jesus encouraged. Jesus held those around him accountable. He sharpened those around him. He corrected those around him. Jesus loved unconditionally. Jesus didn't give up on Peter when he fell. Jesus lived a selfless life, and he died a selfless death. His commandment was simple. Love God, love people. His mission was this. Go and make disciples. Go and spread the gospel. Everyone, including you, Your mission is to go make disciples, spread the gospel. Did you know that you don't have to be a preacher or a scholar to spread the gospel? You can spread the gospel more efficiently than any sermon just by simply living it. Live the gospel. Be like Christ. Encourage, sharpen, love, be a brother or sister. Be people, people. This is our mission, folks. Stand with me across this room. Who here would say, man, I I need that? I need that community that you've been talking about this morning. If that's you, just raise your hand. If you say, hey, I need that. I'm right there with you. I need it. Here in a few minutes, you're going to be given an opportunity to experience community. And I want to challenge you to come out with us after service to our fall festival. You can go home and do you. Or you can hang around and, and do community with us. But before we do that, I do want to give you an opportunity to receive prayer. So if you're here this morning and you say, man, Bob, I have a hard time letting people in. I've been hurt. I never really had anybody, so, so I've just kind of been a lone it. And if I don't let my guard down, then it's hard for anybody to, to hurt me. Maybe it's church. Maybe you've been hurt by church or by church people. But if you're ready to open up a little bit and be a part of this biblical community that we've been talking about this morning, or at least take the first step, if that's you this morning, I want you to slip your hand up for me. If you say, hey, I want, I want to try this. That's right, I see you. Notice I didn't say bow your heads. You're in, you're in this community right now. I see you. Is there anyone here brave enough to say, hey man, I've been a spectator? Maybe you weren't always a spectator. Maybe you were once heavily involved, but somewhere along the way, you found yourself on the sideline just watching others, uh, everybody else play the game. If you're done sitting on the bench and you're ready to dive in and be who God has called you to be this morning, can you just slip your hand up for me right now? There you go. Wow. All over the room. All over the room. Wow. Is there anybody here that would be honest and say, hey, I feel myself slipping? Like the bonfire, I was once a part of something bigger than myself. But somewhere along the way, I've been removed from that bonfire. And, and I can feel myself getting colder. I feel distant. You realize that you need community and you want back in. You want to make that change today, a change for the better. To be people, people. Like Jesus has called us to be. If that's you, can you just slip your hand up for me right now? Yes. Yes. Right, let's bow your heads. Let's pray right now. Father God. Firstly, we come to you with a heart of repentance and we're sorry for making it about us and we ask that you give us a heart for your people to see them through your eyes and allow us to be the light that they need, a light that points them to you with our words and our actions. And God, we ask right now that you give us a desire to grow and mature in our faith together with unity. And we ask that you help us to become an active church that carries out your mission into the local communities. No more standing on the sidelines from this day forward. In Jesus' name, amen.